Hi, thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. That, that is an awesome song, and all of the songs this morning have taken us exactly where we want to go as we come into the, the service and the message that we've got this morning. But b- before I go there, church family, I uh, think it's only right that I talk to you a little bit. Uh, I'm reconsidering right now my position on masks at church. And um, th- I thought I should bring you up to speed on this a little bit. Um, I'm so excited. You know, we were arriving at this point where we were going to get out, of under- out from underneath all these restrictions and, and so on and so forth. And then I had a conversation with somebody this week that's really made me reconsider where we're at in terms of these masks at church and so on and so forth. And here's, here's the thing. They were saying to me, and I quote, man, it is sure a lot harder to stifle my yawns when I don't have a, a mask on at church during your message. And so I am really thinking that we might have to go back to that because that is just so disheartening. So this morning, I'm still in the process of weighing this out and balancing it just a little bit. So just as we're going through the message, you know, remember that. (laughs) Okay? All right. (laughs) That's all I need, reinforcement here now. Okay, now listen, I'm going to do my best to not uh, let you yawn this morning, to keep you engaged. We are in a a series this, this summer where we are looking at prayers of biblical proportion, where we're taking different prayers from the Bible and we're looking at them and taking them specifically uh, as the prayers themselves. And I'm excited about this whole process. Um, I've never done this before, but as I've been working ahead, even on some of my messages and so on, just looking at these prayers has been so beneficial. There is just a ton of stuff here. And so what we need to know this morning, we've called this series um, Prayers of Biblical Proportion. And what we wanted to do there is we thought that that was kind of catchy and a little bit intriguing. Prayers of biblical proportion. I should say, prayers of biblical proportion. Anyways, the, the point is, is that we didn't do that just because it was catchy. These prayers aren't just biblical because they're in the Bible, but they are in the Bible because they merit being in Scripture for what is being prayed and what we can learn from them how the Holy Spirit can speak to us about who God is, about who we are as his people, and about who he is calling us to be going forward as his people. So this morning, we are going to look at Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1. But before we do that, once more, just one more time before we get going, would you bow with me in prayer as we ask God to come now and speak to us through Paul's prayer? Father, this morning again, God, once more, I just commit this time to you. Lord, there is so much here for us to know and understand and to learn. 
the way that you are engaging us through these prayers, the way that you are revealing yourself to us through these prayers. And so this morning, I pray that you would leverage these moments, these minutes to that end, that you would open our eyes and our ears to you today, that we would know you better, that we would understand you more, that we would follow you more completely, that we would dedicate ourselves totally to who you call us to be. And I ask these things now all in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, Ephesians 1, verses 16 to 19a is where we're going to begin this morning. There it says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, Paul says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, there's a prayer for you if there was ever a prayer. Let's just start kind of at the end there, if you will, for a moment. Let's look at the end of verse 19, or well, actually the middle of verse 19. This morning it's important for us to understand right off the hop as we're looking at this prayer that Paul is praying for those of us who believe. This morning, you may be here and you don't know Jesus Christ yet. And first of all, I would say we're so excited that you're here and you're welcome here, and we're excited to have this opportunity to just spend this time together with you. So if you're in that place where you're thinking about it, either online or in person, you're trying to understand who Jesus is. We're all about that as a church. We want you to know Jesus Christ. And so it's great that you're here, and I trust that as you spend time with us, as you hang out with us, that that will become more and more clear to the point where you will understand him and then commit your life to him. Understand who he is, what he has done for us, and the difference that he makes in our lives. But as we're talking this morning, I'm talking to people who have made that statement of faith in Christ, who have come to that point where they know who he is, where they believe who Jesus Christ is, and have committed their lives to him, to following him. <clears throat> and that's what, who Paul is praying for this morning. So we need to keep that in mind. But we're excited that you're here, even if you haven't arrived at that point yet. And I trust that this will help you as you contemplate that, as you search out who this Jesus is. So let's go back now and let's start at the beginning in verse 17, where it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. All right. Paul begins with the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Now, I talked about this a little bit last week. Jesus, as he was praying in Gethsemane, came to God. He approached God as his Father. And we see Paul doing the same thing here. He's, he's understood Jesus' teaching. He's recognized that in Christ's model, as Christ has modeled that himself. And so he comes to God in prayer as his Father. 
but we also see him acknowledging who Jesus or who God is in terms of the father of Jesus and our glorious father at that. And so this morning, as you and I come to prayer and as we pursue God in prayer, it is important for us to acknowledge who Christ or who Jesus, who who God is right from the outset. That we would acknowledge him as God. Now, that's important because that moves us right from the outset into the proper, if you will, approach to prayer. That as we recognize who God is, and as we acknowledge that at the beginning of our prayer, that that would usher us into a time where we have and demonstrate our respect for God, our reverence for Him. What's more, It lends itself to our proper perspective in prayer as we acknowledge God, as we recognize his position versus ourselves. As we contemplate with awe God's ability and his character. And lastly, it serves also to give us the proper attitude in prayer where we come to prayer, where we come to God with trust, with love, and with confidence. So Paul sets an example there, expands even a little bit beyond what we considered last week as we talked about Christ at Gethsemane. But Paul goes on and he tells us what's his objective here in this prayer. He's praying so that you may know, the Ephesians may know, Him, God, better. That we would know Jesus better. And though this is directed to the Ephesians, you and I can appropriate that for ourselves this morning. Paul is in a sense as well, saying the same thing, praying the same thing for us. That we would know God better as we read what he's talking about to the Ephesians here. Okay, and so as we understand that objective and as we understand that for ourselves as well, that Paul would desire for us all, that I would desire for us all, I trust that we each would desire to know God better, then we need to understand some things here. What's he talking about in that? As he says that we would know him better. Well, first of all, we need to recognize how that comes about. That we know Christ, we know God better, that we know Jesus better by virtue of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in us. All right? So that is accomplished by the Spirit of God. That's not something that we accomplish on our own. Paul's praying that we would have the Spirit speaking into our lives. That he would come and that he would work and that he would accomplish that in each of us. So it's accomplished by the Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit accomplish that for us or in us? Well, he accomplishes that by providing us wisdom, which is insight and understanding, and revelation, revelation of God. 
Those two aspects or perspectives. So what we need to understand from this this morning is that God is telling us, Paul is telling us here, that this is not us having our IQs increased, if you will. Paul's not praying that we would get smarter in an IQ sense, if you will, but rather that we would be able to have God revealed to us. Which is to say then, not that we would get smarter so that we can figure out God, but rather that God would be revealed to us so that we could see that and understand that and know him differently. If you will, as Paul saying this, understand it in the sense of somebody who is blind being made to see. Okay, that's the concept here that Paul's looking for, that he's driving at. Not that we get smarter, but that what we can't see would be made evident to us. Like a blind person having his eyes opened and being able to see for the first time. Or a deaf person being able to hear. It's not that they've gotten smarter, but they've become more aware. That personally they've become more in tune and in touch and aware of what is around them, what is going on. And specifically in this case, they've become more aware of God. They have a greater sense, a greater knowledge of God as their eyes have been opened, as their ears have been opened. So this morning... We recognize that that can only happen as the Spirit accomplishes that in us. We can't make ourselves to see. We can't make ourselves hear. We're not to go home and try and get smarter in order to understand God. We need the Spirit to work in us in order to reveal God to us. And so we have to approach the Spirit for that. Now, there's a danger here as we recognize that fact. And the danger is that we can come away from this thinking that it is not my responsibility then in any way, shape, or form to, to be able to, to know God. That this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. That I can sit back and do nothing and He has to do everything to reveal them, reveal God to me. That I don't have to try to understand Jesus better. That I don't have to try to engage with him in this process. But rather that the Spirit will just somehow accomplish that. And if we come away with that interpretation, well that's a premature and a, and a poor conclusion this morning. It's true that we can't accomplish this on our own. That we need the Holy Spirit to work in us. We can't accomplish it independently. But that's not to say that it's only his responsibility and that we have no part in this. We need to exercise some time. We need to exercise some energy, some discipline in engaging in our Bibles with God in prayer, etc., so that we can know Him and understand Him better. 
We have to participate in this process. And what's more, then as we engage with the Holy Spirit in this process, as he reveals God to us more, as we understand him better, then we also need to take some time and energy to understand the implications and ramifications of who it is that we understand now God to be. That as we understand him better, that as we know his character more, that as we understand his priorities and his purposes, that then we would be able to take those things and apply them to our lives, which means that we've got to use our heads. We need thinking Christians, thinking followers of Christ, not just bumps on a log, waiting for their faith to happen, but engaging with God in this process, learning about him, and then figuring out the application of that in my life. How does this play out in my life? And it's another avenue and another opportunity for us then to engage with God and to understand him more as we pursue him in that. God, you're loving. All right, what does that mean for me? How do I appropriate that into my life? How do I then use that to change myself so that I come more in line with who you are? Get it? Do you understand where I'm going? What Paul's saying here? So, Paul wants us to engage in this process as, as well. It's the work of the Holy Spirit every bit, all the time, yes, for sure. But we have a part to play in that as well. Let's not miss that. We're going to see that even just a little bit more as we consider in a few moments God's in, incomparably great power. Now, one more thing that we need to understand in this whole concept of Paul praying for us that we would know him more, know God more. We need to understand the difference between the Greek interpretation of knowing God, if you will, and the Hebrew interpretation of knowing God. Okay? In the words of my academic advisor, Greek is more in, uh, of an intellectual approach. The Greek approach is more intellectual. The Hebrew ex, uh, uh, approach is more experiential. Okay? So the way that, that that plays out then is that if you were Greek, if you're Greek in your approach, you would think first before you act. You would look at the evidence around you. And you would put those things together, and that would form the basis of your understanding, if you will. But if you're more Hebrew in your approach, then you would act first and watch the empirical evidence fill in behind you. So in, in general terms, that's kind of the difference here between the Greek and the Hebrew approaches. And we need to understand this morning that Paul is a Jew. He's a Hebrew. And so as he is speaking to us, as he's, as he's praying for the Ephesians, as he speaks into our lives, he is praying that we would not just understand intellectually God, but that we would experience him, that we would know him both here and here in our lives. And we can't miss this. I think, I think that generally speaking, 
we're more Greek than we are Hebrew. Maybe that's because we're Baptists, I don't know. Maybe that's just the general church condition, Western church condition. We approach God informationally, not so much experientially. And I think we need to become a little bit more Hebrew. We need to experience it. Consider for a moment, consider for a moment your favorite dessert. Think about that this morning. Okay, you've got that in your mind. Now, it's one thing to think about it. It's one thing to see it. It's one thing to understand it. I know what the ingredients are. I know, I know the proportions. I know how to put it together. I know how long to bake it or whatever. But it's another thing completely when you taste it. Right? That's experiencing it. So both things are legitimate. But together they make the whole. All right? So we don't want to just be cooks that look at cookbooks. We want to taste what we're writing about, what we're reading about in those books. We want to know it. I can think about New York. I can study New York. I can find out all kinds of facts and figures about New York. But it's another thing when I stand in Times Square and experience New York. When I can feel the atmosphere. When I can smell it. When I can hear it happening right around me. When I'm there. So as Paul is writing and as he's praying for the Ephesians this morning, he's writing and praying that we would know and experience God together. That we would have that full picture that full understanding, that full awareness. This morning, I want to see, I want to experience God more. I, 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 I want to know more than just the facts and figures. I want to experience Him in my life more. How about you? All right, so... Paul wants us to encounter God. That's what he's talking about here. Encounter him. Experience him, his power. The riches of his glorious inheritance, that that would be real in our lives. That we would know, feel his love and care, the hope of his call. And Paul breaks that down here more specifically in verses 18 and 19. So let's take a look at those and let's then try and unpack that a little bit. I pray, he says, verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Three things, three ways that Paul is praying that we would know God more. So let's look at those things here quickly this morning. First of all, he wants us to know the hope to which he has called you. The hope of God's call in your life. Right at the very outset, we need to understand that God's call itself gives us hope this morning. If you're feeling, if you're hearing Jesus calling you this morning in your spirit, that should give you hope. 
Because just as Jesus called Lazarus back from the dead, as we hear his call, Jesus' call in our lives, he raises us up from spiritual death to life. So his call alone gives us hope as we hear him. Romans 8.30 says this, those he called, he has justified. And those he has justified, he has glorified. Which is to say, those he has called, those that hear his call and respond to him, he is justified. He is made right before God the Father. He's moved them from spiritual death, from separation from God, to life with God. We've been justified. We've been made right by God, with God, as we respond to his call this morning. What's more, though, than those who he's justified, he is glorified, which is to say that it's, it's, it's then, it's, all, it's now and then. Now and not all, not completely yet. Which is to say that it's accomplished. We have been glorified. We are different people now. We have different lives and that will be fully realized with God one day. But that's happened, that's been accomplished already by Christ. So as we hear God calling us this morning, as you're, as you're listening for Jesus, as you're checking him out, lean in. Because there's hope for you in Christ, in Jesus. And for those of us that have heard his call, then don't miss that hope. That changes who we are. That changes how we live. Because we have hope now in Christ, in his call. What's more then? There's not just hope in his call, but there's hope also in what he calls us to. All right? So we don't have time to go through and unpack this all this morning, but let me just outline a few of these things. This isn't even exhaustive. But there are some things that we are called to that bring us hope in in Jesus this morning. We are called, first of all, to belong to Jesus. Romans 1, verse 6. Have you ever had that... That call where you got that call, where you've been accepted, where you got the job, where you've been admitted into a fraternity or, or something like that, and the thrill that comes. Maybe you were, maybe I was talking to somebody, um, I don't know where, I see some of the family there. Oh yeah, there, I see her. Um, she was accepted into pharmacy. She got a call, I don't know, maybe it was a letter. She's been accepted. Your call this morning is to belong to Jesus. It's amazing to be accepted into pharmacy. It's a whole different thing to be accepted by Jesus, to belong to him when you're called to belong to him. It's awesome. What's more, we're not just called to belong to him this morning. We're called into fellowship with him. He wants relationship with us today. He doesn't want you to just be part of the club part of the pack. He wants relationship with you specifically this morning. We're called into fellowship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. We're called to live a holy life. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. As we're called to Jesus this morning, as we're saved this morning, we're not just saved from things. You've heard this before. The smarter people than me have said this. We're not just saved from, but we're saved to. God has purpose and reason and meaning for us this morning. 
We're, we're called to live a holy life. We're called to freedom, Galatians 5, verse 13. No longer are we imprisoned by sin, captives of sin, but now we're free to live our lives out from underneath that cloud, un, out from underneath that bondage. We're called to suffer for the cause of Christ, 1 Peter 2, verses 20 to 21, lest that you should get so excited This morning we need to understand as well that we've been called to suffer for the cause of Christ. There is no higher calling than to suffer for the cause of Christ on account of what he has done for us. David said, I will give nothing to God that doesn't cost me something. We need to understand that too and embrace that this morning. We're called to suffer for the cause of Christ because he is worth that. And the world needs to see us suffer so that they can know him too. What's more, we're called to, did I tell you where that was? 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21. I'm not dreaming this up. Lastly, we're called to repay evil with good, 1 Peter 3, verse 9. That changes the way that we live, what we encounter in this life. All of which to say then, That as we understand God's call on our lives today, there is hope in that because he's given us purpose. He's given us reason to live. He's given us significance. We have that today. So many of us, me included, have been spending, spent so much of our lives trying to find significance, trying to be something somehow significant. We're significant because of the call that God has placed on our lives. We're to live for him. We're to be his people, to be his children. So he's got a plan for us. He's got a mission for us. If we choose to accept it. We're going to talk about this more in September than through the fall. This, this business of, of making a decision to follow Jesus and just having that as a decision that we made somewhere sometime in the past, a date maybe in our Bible, what have you, I don't know. That's, that, that's just... That's a really bad picture of our faith. There's a time we made a commitment for sure. But we're called to a mission with God today. And in that we find purpose, we find significance, we find meaning, we find fulfillment. So there's hope in that today. We're not just wandering aimlessly through life, wondering what this is all about. What's more? Our calling brings us hope for the future. It doesn't just end with the here and now. He has called us for the prize of heaven, Philippians 3, verse 14. For the prize of heaven. He has something in store for us in heaven ahead. For each one of us, for each one of us that believe. And what's more, he has called us for eternal glory in Christ. Eternal glory in Christ. Christ has been promoted. We saw that through Hebrews. To life eternally. We'll talk about that in a second. And in him, our lives are in him. Now we are also promoted to glory in Christ for eternity. So there's hope for the future in Christ's calling on us today. Secondly, we have to move right along here. We want to, Paul wants us to know 
the riches of his glorious inheritance. This morning, we won't spend a lot of time here. There's a lot of things that we could unpack, but what's bottom line is that we really don't know fully the riches of his glorious inheritance. What we do know, what we do know is this, that one day we will see God face to face. There, there's an inheritance that you and I will see God Almighty, the Creator, face to face. That we will know Him personally face to face. We know that we will be made like Jesus completely. That this process that the Holy Spirit is working on now will be ultimately fulfilled. He that began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And you will be like Christ completely. We will be united as one body. I am fascinated to see how that is going to work. But we will be one in Christ. What's more, there will be no sickness, no more pain. First Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, these are the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Those are the glorious riches of His inheritance. Think about those things now. Start to understand the ramifications and the implications. Let that percolate in your heads. And let that change then how you live as we pursue that, as we pursue Christ. Thirdly, this morning, Paul prays that we would know God's incomparably great power. That we would know God's incomparably great power. And he goes on to define that more specifically in verses 19b to 23. So let's take a look at that quickly. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. What Paul is doing here, well, he's actually he's doing a few things. Number one, there's a bunch of references here to Old Testament Scripture. And we don't have time to unpack that this morning. But all, these, all of the Scripture that he references here from the, out of the Old Testament are pointing to the Messiah. So as Paul is praying this, and as he's writing it out for the Ephesians, for us as well today, he's pointing to the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. He's underlining that fact. That Jesus is our hope, that he's the savior of the world. Don't miss him. Don't miss him as the Messiah. Paul makes that clear. But also, as he outlines these things for us this morning, he's prompting us to contemplate then, to think about this incomparably great power of God. He's trying to elicit in us some time spent thinking about this power of God. Verse 20, this power who raised Jesus back to life. Think about that. The power that raised 
Jesus back to life. He wants us to know that power. And now, and now, now listen, not just raise Jesus back to life. Not just like you and I, where we die again, like Lazarus. But raised him to eternal life. Glorious life. Sinless life. In heaven. For eternity. Now that's, a, now that's an upgrade. And that's power. Think about the power that appointed Jesus Lord of all. Now he's not just living eternally, impotently, without power or capacity. But no. God raised him from the dead eternally and gave him, granted him the title, the authority of Lord of all. both now and in the future. For those of you that were around as we looked at the book of Mark, we saw that as Jesus exercised his power over demons. And then as we were looking at the book of Hebrews, we also see that he is over the angels as well. He's Lord over everything and given authority as such, as power. What's more, God has made Jesus the head of the church. And here this morning, we need to understand this a little bit. Kind of get lost sometimes in this. Okay, I get it. Raised Christ back to life, that's power, I get that. He's made him authority over everything, I get that. But he's made him the head of the church, which is the full expression of Christ. The church is the full expression of Christ this morning. So in the same way, if you will, that Christ is the full expression of God, that we see God completely in Jesus, that as we understand Jesus, then we know God. That we are now the full expression of Christ. That's what we're called to. That we would be called to the full, and we live to be the full expression of Jesus, the church. And that Christ is the head of that. He leads us on in that. Again, that's power. To be able to take us, this motley crew, you and I, and demonstrate us, build us, grow us into being the full expression of Him. Now that's power working in your life. I can't change myself. Like Paul said, the things I want to do, I can't. The things that I don't want to do, I continue to do. But Paul is praying now that we would know this power in our lives. That you and I would understand and know Jesus Christ working in us. The Holy Spirit drawing us, revealing to us this power that God has. That that would be real to us. Not just theoretical. Not just academic, but tangible. This morning, what does that mean for us? And it's interesting here, thing here, as, as we get to this, the call, he doesn't define for us really the call, he just talks about that we would know the call, the hope of the call of God on our lives. He doesn't really define for us the glorious riches of his inheritance. 
But here he takes the time to unpack this whole idea of power. He wants us to get this. Paul is wanting us to contemplate this today. He's drawing us in to consider what he's talking about here. He doesn't have to, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to reveal it to us. It's been revealed. We've seen through the testimony of others. Now, from our standpoint, that Christ was raised from the dead. We have testimony for that. He unpacks this. He tells us that God has been, has placed Christ in authority over everything, seated him at his right hand in heaven for eternity. That, that's defining for us the extent of this power that is boundless. So what he's trying to do here is he's trying to engage us in thinking about that. What does this mean for you and I as we live? How do we experience that in our lives? So that it isn't just theoretical. How do I appropriate that? How do I begin to process that? How do I begin to understand and know that today? That's for you and I to engage in with the Holy Spirit. But here's a few examples. Maybe you need to experience God's power today in that addiction in your life. Because in God's power, you can overcome that addiction. Through Christ, through God, working in your life with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can get through our addictions. We can get past and over our addictions. This morning, by God's power, through Christ, it is possible for you to love your spouse again. For you to repair that relationship that is in disarray. That is messed up and broken right now. God is saying to you this morning, I have the power. It's available to you today. Will you take him up on it? I have people in my office all the time saying, no, it's over, it's done. They won't do this, they won't do that, they won't do the other thing. I don't care about what the other person will or won't do. I want to know what you're going to do. What are you going to do with this power of God in your life? Because he can make things different. And when two of you will commit to that, then it's going to happen. He will make it happen. He has that power. It's available to you today. What about that hurt, that pain in your life? Do you need to experience God's power in your life so that you can get past some hurt, some pain in your world? Would you go to him with that? Would you, would you wrestle with God for deliverance from that? He wants to know you, you to know that power. By God's power, he can overcome that disease in your life, if that's his will. Well, I'm praying for that in so many cases right now, that we would see God's power working in someone's life to overcome physical disease. I'm praying that that would be his will, that he would demonstrate himself to us in that regard. But if he doesn't, but if he doesn't, 
then he can give you the, the power. He can empower you today to face death, unafraid, confident of, of who he is, what he has done, and that this is not the end for us. Paul's begging us in the same way that he begged the Ephesians, that we would know God working in our lives. He's praying to that end. And it needs to be our prayer too. That we would take this prayer and that we would pray it for ourselves, that we would pray it for our church. The world is, is, is waiting, is looking for a reason to have hope. The world is looking and waiting for something to look forward to beyond ourselves, beyond the here and now, beyond the latest toy. The world is looking and waiting to see the power of God so that they could know him too. Where does that start? It starts with those of us that believe. It starts with you and I today. Will we take him up on it? Will we wrestle with him for that in our lives? That you and I would know God better, more completely, and that we would experience him today. Let's pray. Father, again to this morning, I pray now that you would take us and that you would help us to not just leave this here, but that you would change us, that you would give us now direction as to where to begin to apply this in our lives. Lord, that we would be different, that we would grow, that we would know you more, and that as we know you more, that that would change us into the people that you desire us to be. For I ask these things all now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. Thanks for being here, everybody. Next week, real treat. Bruce is back, so bring your friends. We'll see you then.